bring you good tidings this morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This morning as we celebrate Easter, it may seem a little bit odd, but I was reminded earlier this week by Pastor Tim that the, the, er, the early church there on that first Easter morn, that first resurrection morn, they weren't gathered in a building. So maybe we have that in common this morning. And uh, as Easter dawn broke, um, there was a bunch of disappointed Jesus followers that were hiding in homes, and they were unsure of what in the world was actually happening. And so while there's quite a bit of difference this morning from our Easter morn and theirs, there's several things that we have in common. And so maybe we're not on such a bad track after all. Most of us have a good idea this morning of what Easter represents or what it is all about, what the celebration, uh, what the big ado is. Well, it's Resurrection Day. It's the day that Jesus literally rose from the grave. And I think it would be fitting this morning for us to uh, read together Mark and his account of Jesus' resurrection and how uh, the empty tomb was found. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 16, and we'll read the first few verses that will be on the screen. This is what Mark 16, verse number 1 says. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled the tomb. And trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The violent scenes of Friday were still fresh in their minds. Jesus, their beloved teacher, their friend, and even their Messiah, had been brutally murdered. So Saturday was a painful day full of grief and fear, mixed with confusion and helplessness. It was a rough day, to say the least. And as Sunday broke, Dawn was stretching over the sky. It seemed to continue with the same theme from Saturday and from Friday evening. But a rumbling began and occurred on that day, and it has continued to reverberate throughout history, even to today. And likely you feel it, if you're watching this this morning, you feel that effect rumbling in your heart this morning that Jesus has arisen from the grave. That's what Sunday's all about. That's what the Lord's Day is all about. And that's what Easter or Resurrection Sunday is all about. And I recognize that this is a difficult hurdle for some of us to jump over. That Jesus, a man, the God-man, but a man, could die 
and then rise from the dead. We've never seen anything like this before, and so we struggle to believe it. How could this happen? People don't typically rise from the dead, at least they don't in, other, in, in things other than movies. And that's why it's so important that this actually happened. That's why it's so true. That's why it's so powerful that it actually did take place. I'm going to ask you this. If you're with us this morning and you're struggling to believe, I want to, I want to speak to you for a moment and ask you this. What, what more would it take for you to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? How many more witnesses would there need to be in order to, to, for it to be sufficient? How many more changed lives would you have to encounter? How, how powerful of a movement would have to form as a result of the resurrection? And how long would that movement need to last? Friend, objectively speaking, there's likely more evidence of the resurrection of Jesus than you know. And so there's got to be something else that possibly is holding you back from believing. Maybe there's something more. Why do you doubt? It's possible that maybe there's other factors at play in the doubt. And you have to admit with me that if it is true that Jesus rose from the dead, that there would be some serious implications affecting our lives. We'd have to then begin to take his teaching serious. It's possible then that you are maybe not rejecting this event because of its improbability, but maybe because of its implications. And if that's the case, I would ask you to humble yourself and receive the truths of the gospel that Jesus God the Son took on flesh, dwelt among us, and gave his life on the cross as a ransom for many, as a payment and sacrifice for the sins of many. That's my invitation and my hope for you this morning. As you peer into the empty tomb with us this morning, recognize that there are many implications that are echoing out of the tomb. And this morning, I want to take a look at two specific uh, calls, if you will, that we hear from this empty tomb. And so the title of my sermon this morning is this, Two Calls from the Empty Tomb. And I've chosen as my main text, although there are many texts that we'll look at this morning or that have influenced the, the sermon this morning, I, I think the, the main one that we'll spend the most time in this morning is Philippians chapter 3, and verses 7 to 11. And again, they'll be on the screen. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He's writing to the church at Philippi. He's encouraging them. And specifically here in chapter 3, he's, re he's reminding them of the great pedigree that he has as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And yet, when he, after he lists off the, the, his, his pedigree, which was second to none, he then begins to say that all of these things are no gain to him, and he counts them rather as a loss. But let me, let's let the Bible speak. In verse number 7, chapter 3, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss 
for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's ask God to bless the reading of his word. Father, we do come to you now and we ask that you would do just that, that you would bless the reading of your word. That as we walk through the text this morning, that your people would be encouraged, that your church would be challenged, that we would walk away with a hope and a clear sense of calling and direction and a courage to fulfill what it is you have us to do. Jesus, we recognize you as the resurrected Lord this morning. We submit ourselves to you. We pray that many, as a result of your word boldly preached this morning, would come to relationship with you that is saving. We ask that these things be done in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone. Amen. So, Pastor Tim gave us a timely reminder on Friday of how Jesus lowering himself, condescending from heaven to earth, from God to man, and from life unto death, and what that meant for us, what it meant for Jesus. We saw quite a scandal that God would become man and then die, but I loved how he highlighted the fact that it was more than just the fact that he died to cancer or COVID-19, but he died by submitting himself to the cross. He died as a criminal would die. And as the disciples, one by one, would visit the empty grave and would be reminded of what took place on that Friday, they would begin to hear a call. And that voice or that call that would echo out of the empty grave would be the voice of Jesus in their mind and it would call to them and say come and die and so the first call that we hear from the grave this morning from the empty grave is the call to come and die the call to die the voice of Jesus echoes through their mind and where had they heard that before why was it echoing now because Jesus had said in Luke chapter 9 verses 23 and 24 that very thing, that they were to come and die. Let me read it for you. Verse 23, Luke chapter 9, it says this, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus is saying, If anyone would come and be my disciple... He will have to deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow Jesus. If anyone would be his disciple, he must carry his own cross. He must pick up the very tool that will end his life. 
that will eventually kill him and walk behind Jesus. And the next morning when he wakes up, what will he do? He will pick up his cross, a true disciple of Jesus, and follow after Jesus. How's that for a sales pitch? How's that for a join our team? This is what Jesus said to his disciples. You must pick up your cross and carry it. He must lose his life. In other words, he must stop living for himself. The things he prefers must be forgotten. The personal agenda that he holds must be set to the side. Quickly, before we move on, I would just like to ask, is, has that been your experience? As you live your Christian life, has that been the realization in your life? You must carry your cross daily. You must die to self. This is really at the heart of what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 3, specifically in verses 7 and 8. Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. All the things that used to bring him personal comfort, that used to give him affirmation and tell him he was a great guy and that he had tons of value, now he sets to the side and he himself devalues it. He goes on to say that all things he counts as garbage. What do you do with garbage? Do you collect it? Of course not. Do you show it off to your friends and family when they come to visit? No, you hide it. Whether it's literal garbage or something that's trash or trashy, what do we do? We hide it. We don't bring it out. We don't bring it up every chance we get. No, we cover it up. It's of no value to you. And so if you're walking down the street, unless you're uh, trying to be a good citizen, what do you do? Well, you avoid trash. What Paul is saying here is the things in his life that would typically be considered of value and of gain that would propel him forward in community, in relationships. What does he do? He says that I count it as loss. I count it as garbage. I don't even, I'm not paying attention to garbage. I'm not going to pick it up. There's no garbage in my pockets. Why? He's not picking it up. Instead of looking for more things that would bring him pleasure, what do we find Paul saying that he does? He spends his days looking for ways to serve Jesus Christ and to serve the local church. At one point in this short letter that Paul writes to the church at Philippi, he actually says that, that he, he longs that his life would literally just be poured out as a sacrifice for this church. Paul wanted to serve. Paul wanted to lay his life down and not to serve himself. So the call to, to die, it, it involves avoiding selfish gain and, and living for oneself. But, but it also involves avoiding selfish pleasure. At, at the root of all sin, all sin is the desire to please oneself. At the, at the very root of all sin is the desire to please oneself. Every sin, in its essence, is esteeming your desires and preferences above God's. And above your fellow man's. It's esteeming your needs above your brother. Jesus demonstrates for us, listen, how that we are to live a life marked with humility and service and obedience to God. 
He came to serve. That's why he came to earth. Philippians chapter 2 makes that clear. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to serve. This is what it looks like to die to oneself, to live a life of humility and of service and of obedience to God. But how does that happen in the life of a Christian? How is that going to happen in my life? How is that going to happen in your life? Or maybe I could ask, how has that happened? Well, we've seen it time and again, here in the book of Mark anyway, as Jesus demonstrates his power over the effects of sin. Remember, how did sin enter into the world? By one man. And what happened? Then death passed on all men. So what do we know about death? Well, it comes from sin. And so again, pick your poison whether it be heart disease, or cancer, or, di or diabetes, COVID-19, whatever it is, all these pathways, where do they lead? They lead to death. And where did that come from? Sin. And so what does Jesus do as he, as he demonstrates his power over the effects of sin? He is flexing his power over the very curse of sin. The ultimate demonstration of Jesus' power over sin was when he himself overcame the grave, when he rose from the dead. And so how is this to happen? The power of Christ in us. You see, when Jesus extends an invitation or a call for us to follow him and to come and die, it's not just an invitation we have to pay our way to get there. No, it's an invitation, but then it's also made possible by Jesus himself. And specifically because of the power demonstrated in the resurrection. And so Jesus calls to you this morning, come and die. Pick up your cross. Christian, that's a command for us. That's our pathway member of Hagerstown Church. That's what the Lord has for you this morning, that you would lay down your life, maybe even to the point of physical life, dying for somebody. One thing we do know is that we are called to serve with our lives. And so set aside your preferences, just as Jesus did, and serve your fellow man. Lay aside your agenda and serve God the Father. This past week I shared a short video on social media. And in it I pointed to the fact that Jesus changed my life. He extended a call to me to come and die, to follow him. And I have to admit to you that that would have been impossible for me to grasp hold of. For me to walk into, for me to lift my cross literally had it not been for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I was trapped in my sin, and Jesus rescued me. And I hope that's your story this morning as well. You were trapped in your sin, but Jesus extended an offer, an invitation to you to come and die. And it wasn't just simply an invitation, but it was the possibility and the power that you needed to do it. So have you heard this call? Have you sensed the longing in your heart put there by God to humble yourself and to serve others and to obey God's voice? It echoes from the empty tomb this morning. As we celebrate an empty tomb, what does that mean? 
What, what value is that to us? Well, it means this, that we have been called to follow in his footsteps, to carry our cross, and to die. At one point, Paul, alluding to this very idea, he makes the point that if, if Christians have hope only in this life, that we are of all men most miserable, that we are to be pitied above all. In other words, if we die to self by avoiding sinful pleasures and, and suffering for our beliefs even, only to simply cease to exist, then we are to be pitied above all men. But that's not the only call that we hear coming from the empty tomb this morning. We don't just hear a call to die, but we hear a call to hope. We hear a call to hope. Look down at verses 10 and 11. It says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul said what he wanted to know, who he wanted to know, we could say, was Jesus. He wanted to fully experience the power of Jesus. He wanted to become better acquainted with Jesus' power, the power that Jesus demonstrated in the resurrection. Where was that power most excellently displayed? In the cross, in his suffering, and in the resurrection. It was demonstrated in a struggle, Jesus' power over struggle over temptation. And Paul looks at the life of Jesus, the, the, the model of Jesus, and he says, I want to be like Jesus. Even to the point where he says he wants to become like Jesus. And that's what we should want, to become like Jesus. But, but not in that Jesus died, died for our sins. No, we, we, we can't suffer and die for our own sin. We can't help God. We can't help Jesus' sacrifice for us by helping him suffer and helping him die. No, that's not possible. But what we can and are to do is die to sin. Jesus died for sin. We die to sin. And so that's how we become like him in his death. No, we don't suffer and die for our sins. We suffer and die to our sins. What was the end goal? What, what was Paul going after? Look at verse 11. He says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What was Paul hoping for? In the end, Paul held a hope, a hope that is sure that Jesus would raise him in the last day. Along with Paul, millions of saints throughout the ages have left this life holding on to that very hope that Jesus would raise them also in the last day. For centuries, Christians have buried their loved ones in tombs that, that maybe even many of them faced the east because they could anticipate Jesus' return coming from the east. Jesus' tomb is empty because of, of that ours will be one day empty as well. That's the hope. That's what we long for. This morning I would ask you this. Is, is that 
also your hope? Are you holding on to that? That when you die, you have a hope that just as Jesus raised from the dead, that you too will raise in the last day. If that is your hope, I want to share one last thought with you. You see, there's a connection between the two calls that we hear from the grave this morning, the, the call to die and the call to hope. It isn't our option to really pick one or the other. It's not chicken or steak. We're, we're to take both of them. I'd like for you to take a look at, uh, to take as we look at it, to, to take this as the main point of the morning. That there can be no resurrection where there has been no death. There can be no resurrection where there has been no death. Let me explain what I mean by that. Jesus knew that the road to glory was the path to the cross. Jesus knew that the road to glory was the path to the cross. As Pastor Tim spoke about on Friday, there was this condescension. There was this lowering and humbling of oneself. And it's been said a ratcheting down and a pressuring down as Jesus descended in humility. But in chapter 2, it says, Wherefore God has highly exalted him, given him a name. How did God highly exalt Jesus, the Son, by raising him from the dead? And Jesus knew that the road to glory, to exaltation, was obedience, suffering, and humility via the path of the cross. And so for Jesus, there must be a humbling, a death of the world, uh, and for us as well, of the flesh that, that precedes the glorification that Christ enjoyed and that we hope to one day enjoy ourselves. And there's a picture here for us to see. Before Jesus could be glorified, he must be crucified. Jesus is in his passion securing for the church justification. But in addition to that, he's modeling for us how we are to live as well. We also must humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt us in due time. And when we do humble ourselves, he will exalt us. The low comes before the high. The death comes before the resurrection. The weakness comes before the power. and The night comes before the day. So Christian, this morning, there will be no hope of resurrection if there has not first been a death. We must first follow the commands of Jesus to come and die, to lay our lives down. So often, Easter morning, resurrection morning, we remember of the hope that we have that one day we will be resurrected. And that we will be united with the Father through the Son. But that is, though, that is only for those who have died. Who have died to the flesh. And in one sense become alive in Christ. And how do we die to self? How do we die to sin? Humility before the Father. Service to others in obedience to the call. These are marks of a believer. These are marks of one 
who has faith in Christ. As Paul says in verse 9 of chapter 3, and there in Philippians, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so what's your choice this morning? Will you turn from selfish desires and from selfish gain? Will you turn to Jesus? Will you experience the power of his resurrection? Church, there is a call to die, but there is also a call to hope. There can be no resurrection where there has been no death. Hagerstown Church, Jesus is risen. And we have a hope as well. And we have a call. This morning, rejoice in that. Go Hagerstown Church. You are sent.